Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listening to Blackcast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes that put on the BC. Podcasts on, no talking to me. Listening to Blackcast. Keep up on comics and movies. Two phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listening to Blackcast. Don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass, I'm kissing. Listen in the black cast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen in the black cast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen in the black Met this girl, she smiled in my face. Black cast enchilada my place. Had one beer, she brought a whole case. Listen in the black cast. Cops knock on the door and listen. Black cast on, they think I'm Christian. Cops ran off, now I ain't trippin'. Listen in the black cast. My point is, listen to this show. Don't need me to tell you it's dope. Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgo. Listen in the black cast. Oh yeah, that's the black cast, it's on the ghost twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on Afterbuzz TV, that's right. That's that guy Christian, you rock! Alright, several Texas had to go take care of some business. But I'm here to say, have a nice day. And listen to the damn show. Welcome to the Blackcast. It is our annual uh, Oscars post show. As always, we are joined by the wonderful Christian Toto. Christian, welcome back to the Blackcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the, using the word wonderful. I've never been described in such a way. Christian, uh, HollywoodandToto.com. Uh, That's uh, where people can find you and they uh, can find articles and uh, you do a podcast or tell people about Hollywood and Toto before we get started. Yeah. So I cover Hollywood from a right of center perspective. I think that if you look at a lot of the mainstream media coverage of Hollywood and film and TV, there's often a slight, if a more aggressive left of center bent to it, in my opinion. So I cover it from a right of center perspective. Now, I don't hate movies that are liberal and I don't love movies that are conservative, but I do try to give things a fair shake and I don't want to spread crazy rumors on my site. I try to be as journalistically sound as possible, but I think it's something that's missing in the marketplace. But when you want uh, wildly speculative rumors, well, that's why you can uh, come on the Blackcast once a year because we have no standards and uh, yours yours are impeccable, but uh, you know we we really need somebody to to help uh, up our standards a little bit. So that's why we appreciate you uh, being on every year. And as uh, as a lot of people listen to Blackcast would know, uh, we regularly have you on the Dennis Miller option with Dennis Miller. And earlier today, you spoke with him about the Oscars, but uh, I actually watched the show, so I have uh, a little bit more uh, to say about it. And uh, I was impressed because he had watched more of the movies than I even realized he did. Uh, Dennis, I'm talking about when you spoke with him. And uh, I thought that, uh, you know, I think that there have been years recently where it's hard to look at the list and go like, I mean, there's a couple of good ones, but there's no great movies. I did think there were at least varying degrees, sure, but I thought there were a lot of good movies nominated this year, like a lot of very good, strong movies this year. Do you agree that this is better than some of the recent crops we've had? I couldn't agree more. I thought it was an excellent year. And I think last year began 
so badly. I wrote a worst of the year list, I think in May or June. It was that awful. Right. And then the year rebounded. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot of wonderful films, Ford versus Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, the list, and and even films that weren't included in the Oscar, you know, Jamboree. Uh, I'd loved Waves, um, uh, Beautiful Day of the Neighborhood, also uh, Peanut Butter Falcon, maybe not an Oscar quality film, but just a sweet, enjoyable motion picture. So yeah, I, I'm hoping 2020 can repeat that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, there wasn't really a lot of attention paid to uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I mean, Tom Cruise got the Supporting Actor nomination. Uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks got the Supporting Actor nomination for that one, uh, which uh, was not surprising. And that's when you could tell the people hadn't seen it because they're like, wait, he was nominated for Supporting Actor. I'm like, well, yeah, because it's not actually really about him. You know, he certainly overpowers that that film but it is really not about him uh so uh yeah and i don't know i liked it um but there were so many of these movies were great and i have to admit that this is one of the years where uh i did something that i have done a few times in the past after the award show there's usually one movie that i've been remiss in watching and i watch it as soon as the awards are over and this year, that movie was Parasite, because I had not seen it. Uh, and then I'm like, well, it won everything. So uh, I'm going to feel like an idiot talking about it, because I knew I was going to talk to you today. I wasn't quite sure of the nature of the conversation, how involved I was going to be on the Dennis Miller option. So I was like, i got to stay up late to watch it. And I mean, I thought it was good. I thought it was really well made. It was an original idea, original story. And, you know, some uh, some cultural differences, sure. I mean, I thought it was very well done. I mean, it's not for me to say that it's not the best picture of the year. I mean, I, I don't think it's mine. But it's not one of those years where you're like, yikes, they really picked something that uh, that wasn't very good. But what were your thoughts on Parasite? Yeah, I think I felt similarly to the way you felt. I think it's a good film. It's really inventive and fresh and it took some turns I didn't see coming that I thought were very exciting. But I also found some significant holes in the story. I think the the, the third act kind of just goes haywire and not yeah. even the fun haywire. It's kind of the crazy haywire. Like, yeah. I don't know if that was going to happen. So, yeah, I, listen, I'm, it's not my best film of the year, but I'm not going to go on a picket line complaining that it won the award. So, uh, you know, it's fine. The Shape of Water won a couple of years ago. My goodness. It, it, yeah. Paris acceptable come on <laughs> yeah no look that's a yeah that's a great point i mean there are, there are a lot of movies that people point to that you know you start to think like wait that one you know i mean the the easy ones to point to are crash and shakespeare and love but uh you know i just i was listening to somebody uh, speak about the oscars this morning and they were talking about uh cold mountain which isn't a bad movie but it's also like who has thought about that movie si i hadn't who's thought about that movie since the year it was out you know, and that was like, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe? Because that was the last time, you know, Renee Zellweger won. And I was like, oh, yeah, Cold Mountain. It's just some of these movies are classics and they stay with you. And then, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, they just kind of felt like this was the best movie that year. Uh, but look, it's uh, it's groundbreaking. It's very interesting when you have a movie like, well, any movie that wins director, best picture, and it won for screenplay, and it also won, which you pointed out this morning, that category is now called international film. It's not really foreign film. Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, it won, it won four Oscars, which is like, that's impressive for any movie, you know? 
Yeah, I think we used to have more sweepy years. Yeah. And they're often split up quite dramatically. So this was a quasi return to form. So it's it's interesting. And it's also for those who have not seen it. It's the kind of movie you really want to know as little as possible. I wouldn't even I would avoid the trailer, too. Although yeah. I don't think the trailer is away too much. But you want to go in fresh, let it kind of wash over you and then talk about it later. Well, the little bit that I knew of of uh, Bong Joon Ho or, or Ho, sorry, uh, is it made me think, especially with a title like Parasite, I thought it was to some degree a horror movie, and because I, I don't know, and maybe it's because my wife had that impression, and she doesn't like horror movies at all, like she just doesn't want to see them. So we kind of never got around to watching it. But uh, for people who don't know, my wife is Chinese American, so she felt guilty that she hadn't watched it we just never got around to it until after the oscars that was when we we're like okay we kind of have to watch it she wanted to watch it but because she thought it was a horror movie she wasn't going to you know and uh so i really didn't know what i was getting into when i saw it because uh, you know and I, I don't i think it's you know it's it's an interesting story i think there's uh, great performances uh, all around i think it's uh, very funny in places you know, I, I, but yeah, it, it helps to not know what that movie is when you sit down and watch it. Yeah. And uh, if you ever folded pizza boxes for a living, just you might get triggered. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, that's true. That's probably the most triggering thing in there. That's a, that's a great <laughs> point. Uh, so you I, I know this from hearing you talk about it earlier in the day. For you, the best movie of the year was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? That was your best picture. You know, that was the one I thought was going to win. Actually, I like Joker the best of all, and I feel like I'm getting blowback left and right on that choice. But yeah, two very good films. And again, like you said, I could pick four or five films that I have no problem winning Best Picture. It was that kind of year. Yeah, yeah. I watched 1917 over the weekend because I, you know, I just I hadn't seen it, and I'm like, I feel like I, I want to watch it before the Oscars. And I, I knew sort of the gimmick where they give you the impression that you know it's one really long take or a series of long takes. And you can see the couple, at least a couple of the times where it's like, oh, they walk by these giant boulders in a cave. That's clearly not the same shot. But they do some great visual effects work to make it seem like that doesn't happen more than maybe maybe two or three times in the movie. There's a, a point where the main character is unconscious, and that's the one where you're like, well, that's an easy cut. But you know, there's really only a couple of times. So I thought that that was incredible from a technical standpoint because nobody asked Sam Mendes to make the movie that way. You know what I mean? It was just a choice. It was like, I'm going to show off, and I'm going to do this. I thought it was a good story, you know, very reminiscent of Saving Private Ryan and you know, from just a storyline standpoint, not really from the film itself. It, so, but I thought it was good. And if that had been Best Picture, I'd be like, yeah, sure, that was good. And and you know, it was kind of a a, a unique approach. I wasn't going to be mad if that that one for me. I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But like you, I also thought Joker was good. I I really thought Joker was a good movie. And I, I don't know. I mean, I I I didn't. I, those are movies I didn't have a problem with. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it's an embarrassment of riches. And I have to say, most years I look at the top 10 movies, I kind of shrug my shoulders so I didn't have that experience. And I, I let's not sleep on Jojo Rabbit. I know it's divisive and I know some people don't want to go there because it's a Hitler comedy and it's really bleak black humor. I just thought it was clever as anything. Yeah. And I thought there were really inspired comic moments. And I thought it, there was a sweetness and a soul to the movie that I didn't see coming. And I just think it's a what a balancing act to make that kind of movie 
and to score so successfully. I, I, and even just the last moments of the film, I often share them via like the GIFs or GIFs. I, I just found it so joyful. And to, and to have that uh, emotion, that epiphany after that movie with that much horror and bloodshed, I, I just, you can't pull off that thing that easily. It's just amazing. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, the idea of the imaginary friend uh, being Adolf Hitler, played wonderfully by Taika Waititi, that is such a hard thing to make work, but they somehow do it. Because, like, if you describe the movie to someone, they're just like, yeah, I can't imagine watching that. But <laughs> it's so funny, and it, yeah, like you said, it's got so much heart, and there's so many great performances within that movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that that was another one. Uh, when it comes to the Irishman, how much of it do you think is the movie itself and all of its three and a half hour excess, or is there really a concerted effort of like, we're not going to vote for a Netflix movie for best picture or for some of the bigger categories? I know that Laura Dern won for marriage story, but do you think that there was a coordinated not even coordinated, but just a, a consensus that we're not going to vote for this movie because it's from Netflix? Or do you think it is probably more likely about the film itself? I think there was so much hype around it when it finally hit theaters and small screens, as it were. Yeah. We enjoyed it. We love seeing our favorite actors again. We were kind of intrigued by the novelty of the de-aging. And then I think we said, it's not his best work. It's not a great movie. It's a very good movie. It's well-crafted, yeah. interesting. We get all the reasons why it exists. I think that our culture, movie culture, pop culture, you name it, is moving so quickly. What was unacceptable two years ago, you can't pick a Netflix movie. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, ah, Laura Dern's great in a Netflix movie. Don't care. She gets it. I, I just think that I just think we're accepting new things and new challenges and new templates. It's the new normal. So I, I don't think that's really a big deal anymore. Yeah, I often think with uh, Scorsese, it's like if Casino had come out before Goodfellas, people would talk about how amazing Casino was. But when you saw Casino, you're like, oh, it kind of feels like it. It's still good, but it's like, oh, it's a little reminiscent of that. So it's almost like, well... And let's say maybe a two and a half hour version of The Irishman. If The Irishman had come out first, people would probably be like, oh, that was great. If he'd worked up to, to uh, not Casino, sorry, if he'd worked up to Goodfellas, then yeah, maybe, you know, that. and Goodfellas was the one that was on Netflix, it would be hard to be like, oh, yeah, that Goodfellas, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that was something special. But there is sort of this like diminishing returns of it's like you're getting the... You know, it's like, how many times is this is this band going to go on the reunion tour? And, you know, the last time when you saw them on the reunion tour, they were not quite as good when you saw them on tour the first time. And now it's like, oh, it's just fun to see some of your old friends. You know, it's a, it's like some of those TV reboots, you know? I mean, I don't know anybody that's talking about the, the, the new reboot of the Mad About You show, but people who loved that show are probably like, oh, it's nice to see them together again. You know, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I also think there was the expectation that it's Scorsese, it's Netflix, it's a gazillion dollars, it's all your favorite actors. We were supposed to like it. And I think it was almost like, remember when um, the, Force, the Phantom Menace came out, I, I talked to Star Wars fans who were just, it was a great movie, I loved it, because it was Lucas, it was Star Wars, we were supposed to love it. It was supposed to be Star Wars Reborn. And then you kind of walk away thinking, Boy, that kid actor, he was pretty terrible. And, oh, that didn't make a lot of sense. And I really didn't like that wooden acting at times. So yeah, and, and, I, and, I and, and what exactly is Jar Jar Binks? I, 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 I know. I mean, I do remember. I had a friend who saw Phantom Menace, like an advanced screening, you know, when 
those were a lot harder to get into, I guess. And just the way he was raving about it, I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. Now, to be honest, I saw Phantom Menace in theaters three times when it came out. Uh, how old would I have been? 23, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I liked it. And to me, it's still not the worst Star Wars movie. But yeah, it's a lot of like, when you think about it and you actually sit and you go like, well, there's a lot of like trade negotiations and there's like a non no confidence vote in the Senate. And uh, yeah, Jar Jar, I guess, is kind of annoying. And you're like, yeah, what do I like about? Oh, Darth Maul, you know. <laughs> but it's like there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of bathwater to throw out with that baby. But it, it's a great point. You're conditioned to like, yeah, these are these things are all great. And you know, I think that again, you want to talk about your diminishing returns. Those Star Wars prequels are a great example. But it, for me, I don't know, maybe I was just in an abusive relationship with the Star Wars universe for so long because it wasn't until Last Jedi that I walked out and went, you know what? I didn't love it. And mm. I'm supposed to love a Star Wars movie. And I didn't love this one. And that we've talked extensively on this podcast, Christian, as you can imagine, that uh, there are people who feel the way I did. But then there are also other people who are like, no, no, no. The, if I rank my Star Wars movies, it's the original movie and then Last Jedi is number two. And I'm like, all right. I, I mean, I, I think of it as number two in sort of the uh, the other way that we, we throw around number two. Thank you. I was very proud of myself for just coming up with that on the spot. But, you know, and I mean, and here's the thing, too. But people who love that movie, uh, I'm always interested in talking to them about why. Uh, as long as they're willing, and that's for any movie, as long as you're willing to at least you know, respect, like, I respect the fact that somebody loved that movie. I'm like, I wish I loved that movie. But don't tell me when I say, like, you know, I watched it again and I thought it was really bad. I mean, if the conversation, the next thing that happens, and I talked about this on the podcast, I had multiple people be like, well, you're just wrong. And I'm like, I mean, maybe for you, but I'm not wrong for me. You know, I mean, uh, there's people out there who saw one Star Wars movie and they're like, yeah, I'm good. I think I get it. I don't think I need to see any more of them, you know? And, well, that's that's good for them. And I don't know. I think we've sort of lost the idea that opinions can be subjective and that we can actually have a more interesting conversation when you disagree about a movie than if everybody loves it, you know? Yeah, some of my favorite films were very uh, split decisions. I, I remember War of the Roses when it came out in the late 80s. I remember the reviews were just all over the map, and I walked out thinking, I love this movie, and I can't wait to talk about it and fight about yeah. it, because that's part of the fun. I think I get my gander up with critics when they either judge a movie for crazy reasons, or they kind of, they inject their personal politics so directly into the film it affects what they have to say. Like with the recent Richard Jewell, which I think got robbed of multiple nominations, so it was an excellent film. But there were some critics who said, yeah, the bombing sequence was good and the acting was great across the board. And I thought he really did a compelling story, but I didn't like the narrative, so I hate it. I mean, I, I literally wow. saw that in multiple reviews. I think, okay, I can argue with that. I, that that's, that's go time. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, and look, a lot of times people are bringing some baggage to, to a film, you know, because of sometimes it is like, well, you know, I don't like this actor in real life because of this, because of that, you know. And, you know, then when you're analyzing older films, 
obviously you can be like, well, yeah, Chinatown's great, but maybe somebody doesn't want to watch it now because Roman Polanski makes them uncomfortable or, you know, Woody Allen or, you know, I mean, it can, you know, I can see sometimes where the modern day is going to make you look at something differently, you know, and it's like, I'm kind of uncomfortable watching, you know, Woody Allen chase after younger girls now, you know, now I'm not as, you know, it's not as funny as it seemed, you know, I don't mean for me personally. I just mean, I understand that people sometimes you can bring the real world in there and to me that's always the the indication of what a great actor tom cruise is because his personal life was so crazy at one point he's jumping up on the couch on oprah he's fallen in love with joey potter from dawson's creek and i'm like none of this makes sense but then i sit in a movie theater and he's ethan hunt in a mission impossible movie i'm like Oh, I forgot all that stuff because he was so good on the big screen, you know? I mean, I think a good actor, a good film can make you forget about that stuff, right? Not only do I agree, I think Tom Cruise could have been on Dancing with the Stars. That's where his trajectory could have gone. <laughs> True. <laughs> so darn good and such an amazing action hero and ageless, of course. And also, you mentioned sort of your personal baggage. I think a great example there is an Oscar-nominated film, Marriage Story. Yeah. I thought excellent. But I have to say, I'm not divorced. If I was divorced and I watched that movie, I would be flinching in my seat. I'd be running to my safe space with my crayons. Yeah. That is a brutal movie. And it's told with a lot of love and a lot of tenderness. But gosh, it is World War Three, Four, and Five for anyone who's getting divorced. So I get that. It's, that's a very tough one. Yeah. I think well, I, I also am not divorced, but I have been married for uh, 10 years and just both my wife and I are like, you know what? I don't I don't want to sit through that. I don't want to sit through somebody else's uh, marriage dissolving. And a lot of the people who uh, initially were telling me how great it was, I would I usually knew the answer, but I was usually like, are you married? And usually they said no. And I'm like, yeah. And look, you're watching movies because you, you need to for work. It's, you know, but uh, I was just like, it just doesn't seem fun to me. And there's like seeing a movie that's not fun because it's, you know, the, well, the easiest one to point to is Schindler's List. Going into that, yeah, it's not going to be fun, but you want to see this great movie. That I'm like, I, I don't know if I want to see Kylo Ren and Black Widow fight and have their marriage fall apart. You know, I'd just rather see them in other movies. Uh, so I still haven't seen it. I think if it had won Best Picture, I would have felt bullied, not by my wife, at least I hope not, or that's what I would say on the podcast. Uh, but I would feel like, okay, I should watch it now. But then it didn't win. So, um, yeah, I, I find that movie very unappealing, but haven't seen it. So I'm not saying anything about its validity as a film. I just mean for me, I'm like, man, I can't make myself watch that. I agree. I get it. It's not a Saturday night movie where you want to have some escapism. I will say I found there's an undercurrent of hope through it all. It's buried. You got to really dig, right. but it is there. And there's sort of a humanity kind of peeking out. So I recommend it. It's a very good movie, but I always say just be in the exact right mood to, uh, click on Netflix because if you're not it's it's not what I recommend yeah I mean it's of of, of all the nominees I mean well I guess that and uh, the Irishman are the easiest ones to watch because literally I I have that movie in my pocket everywhere I go if I really want to watch marriage story I can be sitting in the waiting room at the dentist office and knock off 20 30 minutes of it but I just uh, I haven't wanted to one of the uh, best picture nominees that I really wanted to ask you about 
Uh, my wife really liked Little Women, and um, I just wasn't excited about it. I, I was just like, look, I, those are great actresses. I under, I know the story well enough. Uh, I just was like, it's not that high up on my list. People told me it was good. Some people said it was great. Uh, I'm not doubting that it isn't. It's just, I, I don't know. Look, I wasn't that interested in Ford versus Ferrari either, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, what did wh what is it about Little Women? Do you Did you like it? And uh, why do you think it's such a divisive uh, film from the standpoint of, well, how has not everyone watched this movie? I've never seen a Little Woman movie before this one, so this is my, my first time. Right. I watched it. I enjoyed it. Sort of a, it's well-crafted, well-acted, the presentation. It's, it's, it's sort of aces across the board. And I'm going to say something that's, that's not really, uh, it, <laughs> it's something that shouldn't be said, but is perfectly normal. It's a it's a girl movie. It's it's a chick flick. Yeah. Where I would say Fast and Furious is a guy flick. It doesn't mean that girls can't watch those, and doesn't mean that guys can't watch watch Little Women. But watching it, I just feel like this is appealing to a female demographic. It's very well done. But in today's day and age, this is weird social pressure that certain movies you must like, like the Lady Ghostbusters. It's ridiculous. And by the way, Little Women has crossed the hundred million dollar mark. That means it's a big hit. Yeah. Means it, it's niche. It means it's very successful. You don't need me. It's okay. We can yeah. all we can all separate and see the films we want to see. If you want to sort of yell at it or judge it without seeing it, that's unfair for sure. Yeah. But uh, it, it's it's okay. If you know, you guess most John Wick movies, I would say, are maybe guy movies. It doesn't preclude women from yeah. liking them, but it, it it's okay. Uh, some people hate horror movies. I love them. Yeah. Well, my, my wife, for one, yeah, can't stand horror movies. And yeah, I mean, look, it just had that feeling. And I, I don't know, it's just, okay, it just wasn't something I was excited about. And, you know, my wife also, my wife is less interested in Ford versus Ferrari than I am. And I'm like, well, yeah, because it's about driving cars. And that seems like more of a guy movie. And like you said, women can like that. Guys can like little women. But you know, not everything is for everybody. You know, there's a, there's what a million shows on TV, and I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm glad you like that show. Uh, you know, people love this show, The Leftovers. I watched the the pilot of it. It's still one of the worst hours of watching television I've ever spent in my life. And I'm like, I'm glad everybody loves it, but it's like, no, I was I was out after one. You know, uh, I saw the first Twilight movie, and I was like, oh, I get it, but I I, I sure didn't see any more of them. You know, uh, but I think that I, I don't know i mean i guess because it, it had that was sort of like the the female movie it had all these great female actresses in the cast it had greta gerwig you know it had all of that stuff and it, you know look it got nominated but it was just like i don't know i mean there's 10 it so it's in there but it did, she didn't get nominated for director but there's only five of those and i i don't know the thing that it made me think about though and are talking about it was this idea of well, how did Booksmart not get nominated? And look, I think Booksmart was good. It was fun. But it's like, if you want Booksmart to be nominated, then you need Can't Hardly Wait to have been nominated. You need Breakfast Club to be nominated. I'm like, it feels like all those movies. It's not a great film with a capital F. And sure, there are always exceptions for movies that get in there, you know, that, that could get nominated. But it's not an outrage when a, a coming-of-age, you know, last day of high school movie does not, resound with the academy so I, I don't know i mean and again i thought it was a it was a good movie but it was like this idea that it didn't get nominated being an outrage i'm like okay this is this is me not understanding twitter anymore
Yeah, well, I agree. And just a quick note, I get that there's a gender issue in Hollywood. I get that there's a, you know, there, that, that racial harmony is not there in Hollywood, but I think you can work toward that. You can try to be, you know, open to every voice and at the same time, not turn the Oscars into this signal fest where there are so many people of color on stage, it practically collapses. It, it just, it was very strange. Like they kept introducing these people and I, I, I cover Hollywood. I didn't know who they were and they certainly weren't movie stars per se. I mean, I want like Denzel and yeah. Meryl and, and Halle Berry and, you know, and Dustin Hoffman, give me the movie stars. I just, this sort of, Hey, we have a radically unequal system, but we're going to fix it one night. It just seemed ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, look, if and you can certainly make the point that, yes, it is a fundamental problem with Hollywood that there aren't more films directed by female directors. But that's like, well, that's not an Academy problem. That's a, you know, the the studio's problem and the producer's problem and the money people, you know, just not putting up uh, the, the money for for some of these projects. And it's like, you know, if if there were more female directed movies, I would bet that some of them would stand out and the problem being that it's a lot of genre movies it's like wonder woman's a great superhero movie but it's like it's not a it's not a best picture patty jenkins isn't a best director you know i mean and 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 that's you know i mean that I mean, that movie's much better than book smart you know so i i don't i don't know i mean look there is no there's no quick fix this year and if if I don't know if people in Hollywood are that upset with this sort of disparity, then I don't know. Stop, stop taking some of these paychecks and being like, no, no, no. Why don't you spend that on, you know, my, my friends indie or, you know, some other way or, or don't go to the Oscars. If it's really that appalling to you, just be like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to go. Yeah. And you know, if nobody goes, well, there, there's a, there's a great question. You know, the ratings get lower and lower every year. What, what if they just gave out the awards and and there was no one there to accept them? You know, I think they'd be done in like half an hour, right? <laughs> that would be sweet. Yeah. And by the way, it was kind of funny because the show itself, very, uh, just an, an avalanche of people of color on the on the presentation. Like, I'm not critiquing that per se. It just was very obvious what they were trying to do, and yet when they brought out Eminem to sing an old song. I saw on Twitter, I was like, ah, oh, they got a white rapper to do this. You know, it was like, they tried so hard. They really, they really went out of their way to be as representational as possible. But one white rapper, they're done. You know, it's, it's, you can't win. Yeah, I mean, and that was just, to me, that was just such a weird moment. I remember my wife came back in the room and she's like, wait, what's happening right now? Like, because, yeah, why is Eminem doing a song from, it's not 20 years ago, but it's more than 15 years ago. It's like, wh why is he doing that song? And if it's part of like a medley where you're having other people do other, you know, Oscar winning songs, that's fine. But you just have Eminem there. And, you know, the, the comedian Billy Eichner had probably the best tweet about it. He's like, oh, okay, so we're, you know, something about how sensitive everybody's supposed to be, but the 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 rapper who uses, you know, the, the slang word for homosexuals in his songs, we're just going to be okay with that. All right, so that's what the line is. You know, so even having him, it's hypocritical. Sure, you have a rapper, but it's a white rapper. Uh, and then also it's like, you know, some questionable uh, language in there, you know, and it, it's it, as much as Elton John is, is like his friend, or they at least did a song together, it still doesn't excuse that in the eyes of some people. So it's like, it's just such a 
weird choice. And I don't know. I guess that comes from it just being a TV show and you want people to watch. But it's not like they teased that Eminem was going to be on. That was a surprise, right, Christian? Completely. And that was another thing. They had Steve Martin and Chris Rock, two comic legends, doing a quasi, not quite, sort of kind of monologue. Yeah. And Okay, you have two legends on the show basically fulfilling the host duties in a way, and you don't advertise it? You don't let people know they're coming. I didn't know they were coming. So why why would you do that and and kind of just throw away their marquee value? It's very strange. It, why would they do that? And I think you just hit on a great idea. I thought that the song and movie combination montage that we saw on Oscar night was great. It was it was everything the show should be. It was honoring old movies. It was evoking those great feelings. It was telling you movies matter. They speak to us. How about we have Eminem do part of that? And then maybe the Simple Minds comes out and does the Breakfast Club song sure. and do that montage live and get the nostalgia juices flowing and the old feelings flowing again. That would be fun. But when you pick just one song out of that whole group and you have a full-fledged production, it's a head scratcher. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's uh, it, it was a, a very confusing moment. I, I did enjoy seeing Steve Martin and Chris Rock. I would have liked to have seen either or both of them a little bit more. Uh Twitter was uh, all a flutter uh, with the uh, presentation from it was Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig, right? Those are the two that went up together, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I like both of them, but I, I I'm like, I've seen them both be much. Fun. I, I honestly, I don't love Maya Rudolph. I'm, I, I'm, I'm being disingenuous here. I always liked Kristen Wiig though, and I thought Maya Rudolph's impressions were good. Uh, she can't trot out her Whitney Houston anymore, which was probably my favorite, but. Uh, I always like Kristen Wiig, and I, I like my Rudolph enough. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is fine, but they've both been much funnier than this, so I don't know how I'm supposed to be losing my mind over this. I don't get it. They're two talented people, and I'm thinking throughout the night, a lot of talented folks on the stage. Why is the banter not funnier? Why aren't these jokes killer? If I'm Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig, I would spend three months writing my jokes or however long they have to prepare. I would go night and day. And you can't tell me that their best joke, the creme de la creme, is we're going to act and act and act and then say we're, we're auditioning for the crowd. That's like the first joke you write. And you go, ah, that's all right. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's let's keep going. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there weren't a lot of, you know, great moments in terms of presenters and all that. Uh, the... Let's see. The in memoriam, uh, I think, is always one of those things that it's always sad because there's always a few people that are like, "Oh yeah, they died. I completely forgot." I, I don't get the whole Billie Eilish thing, but I understand she's hugely popular. So if we're going to talk about how they want to make it a TV show that people tune in for, sure, somebody who yeah. like swept the Grammys, I understand the choice. That's fine. You know, she's not a she's not a bad singer, but for the song she did was fine. She did Yesterday by the Beatles. It's a great song. She does her own song and she whispers through it. Well, I, I, that's not so much for me. But, um, of course, it uh, was it was the day after. So uh, I personally was upset to not see my dear friend Orson Bean listed amongst the, uh, the, the In Memoriam segment. But I also understood 
that it had happened the day before, and they've and because they've used that excuse before, not because it makes it okay that it was only the day before, they've often said for any of these award shows that it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get it in next year. Uh, but that was kind of who I was looking for. There's sort of a nice hold uh, on a photo of Kirk Douglas because of what a legend he was. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if people really tune in for the in memoriam segment. Oh gosh! Well, they tune in to get outrage. Who who doesn't That's legitimately get, you know mention <laughs> there? I get the timing with with Orson, but you know Luke Perry. Some people talked about was not was not there. And yeah, then, and I, yeah, and I, I know he's not best known as a as a movie actor, but he sure was in movies. I mean, even a, a movie nominated for Best Picture that year, he has a very small role, but he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, that that seemed to ring out to me too. But uh, listen, of all the things to complain about the Oscar presentation. I go with it's three and a half hours long. Ooh. And then second would be it's three and a half hours <laughs> long. Way at the bottom. I'll yeah. say the, the in memoriam was less than perfect. Yeah. And uh, obviously adding to that uh, running time was uh, some of the acceptance speeches. And I think it was good that they gave uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, a lot of extra time because, uh, he, you know, a lot of what he said had to be translated. By the way, what a great night for that translator, uh, who, by the way, as it turns out, is a director. And I, I was reading about that earlier, and she's going to do a, a movie about award season. So I'm like, well, good for her. You know, think about the amount of screen time she got at the Oscars for just, you know, translating. Uh, but... So, you know, giving him more time, that's fine. And also, you know, he won Best Picture. So uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I, because I live on the West Coast, the fact that it was 830 and not 1130, it probably didn't bother me as much when all the celebrities in the audience started chanting for them to put the lights back on and the microphone back on. Because I was like, yeah, just they won Best Picture. Why don't you let a couple more of them talk? We're we're already in three and a half hours on this thing. Let's just go one more minute. You know, I, I, that didn't bother me. But uh, what did you think, sort of, about that? You know, actually caving to the pressure and letting the 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 rest of the uh, the the people that were assembled for Parasite speak. Yeah, I had no problem with that. I thought uh, uh, that his comments were cute and clever and sweet. And as the night, as he kept making more speeches, you know, he was being deferential to his colleagues. I, I thought it was great. I want to go have a drink. I yeah. love that. You know, it's just the Joaquin Phoenix and Renee Zellweger yeah. speech went on and on. And even when you can kind of, you know, mine through them and dig out some little nuggets of gold, there was just so much stuff and it was just rambling. And I'm thinking, just bring it home, make something memorable. You're actors you know how to you know how to do this this is yeah. your skill set yeah it was one of those things that watching joaquin phoenix you just start to think like i'm pretty sure this is the least effective got milk ad that we're ever going to see <laughs> that's right uh but also it's just weird because whenever you see him you know there's that infamous uh, letterman interview that he did when you see him speaking you're just like man this guy's a great actor because <laughs> he can't talk he can't put a couple of thoughts together. He is a great actor, you know, reading other people's words. Uh, and I, I, look, I, as rambling and sort of weird causes that he chose, there is something to be said for, you know what, I have this, this spotlight. Let me talk about something that's more important than, you know, thanking my agent and my manager. I, under, I understand the sentiment of that. I just don't know that he was the guy that was equipped to do it. I mean, I, I was trading texts with my friend Brian, who he actually, you know, we basically, we arrived at 
this is basically like the way a sketch would have been about an award show that went on too long, like in 1990, like the Ben Stiller show. Ben would have been that guy and he would have said all these things about like milk or whatever. And the audience would have lost it and thought it was funny. But where we are now, it's just like, uh, yeah, I think we're going to clap for that. Right. Uh, I guess uh, milk. Yeah, we hate milk. It was just such a. I don't know. I guess it's because he was going for like a catch-all. You know, he didn't come up to talk about animal cruelty. You know, he just sort of arrived there eventually. And I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it was very, it was mostly uncomfortable to watch. I mean, what did you think as it was unfolding? Yeah, it was, I, I, I was uncomfortable because you didn't know where it was veering next. And, you know, it's funny when, when actors become politicians, it doesn't happen a lot, but one of the things that's often said about them as well, they're good at you know speaking on message, uh, being clear, they're good communicators. That's what these actors are, and yet they get, I mean, listen, I get the pressure, it's the biggest night of their lives potentially. Sure. So maybe they're just kind of fumbling and bubbling because it's because they're human. But you would think they would have one or two key points. It's almost like when you're on a, a talk show, you know there's gonna be a couple of beats, there's gonna be a couple of questions, you don't wanna ramble, you've gotta get to the point and then that will make an impression on the viewer. You would think they'd have the same instinct there, but I also get the sense that once they're up in the spotlight, they think it's gonna go on forever. They lose they lose their sense of time and space. They they don't see the big hook coming for them. They don't hear yeah. the music playing them off. I'm like, I'm just gonna go for it. Yeah, and I, I get giving the, the biggest awards more time to speak, you know, than documentary short film you know i mean sometimes those speeches are great too because of just the the person can't believe that they're they're getting that kind of a spotlight but i i understand that but it was just like i mean i guess but uh he's been talking for a long time even the people there are like okay we we can move it along uh renee zellweger i think there were two parts to her speech. There's like the first two and a half minutes where you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? She kind of had something really heartfelt that she wanted to say. But then there's like an extra two minutes more where you're like, oh, no, she she needed to be done. You know, it it could have helped her if they had started playing her off with the music, you know, and it, it wasn't as disorganized and rambling and preachy the way that Joaquin Phoenix's was. But coming right after it, you're like, uh, did we did we need both of these? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It was a weird one-two punch at a time where the where we were well north of the three-hour mark. And yeah. Mike at one point said, "Daddy, when is this going to end?" I said, "I don't know, buddy. We're not <laughs> it, it, it may it may never end." Yeah, and uh, a friend of mine from AfterBuzz TV, uh, Jeff Graham, had a very funny tweet that I retweeted, which was, we really could have used Bong Joon-ho's translator after Joaquin and Renee spoke, <laughs> which I, I was just like, oh, that's too funny for me to not retweet. I can't take credit for it. It's just such a funny idea. Uh, that would have been great if, uh, you know, maybe if there had been a host, they could have been like, oh, no, no, go out and explain it, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just like when you have this this kind of show and it's Hollywood taking itself very seriously, you're gonna get stuff like that. Um, w a speech that was a little bit surprising was Brad Pitt's because, as you were talking about with Dennis Miller this morning, he's given some really good speeches when he's won, you know, some of the other awards, and then this one was just it was just a letdown because it was just like. A, a, you know, a, a little quick rib kick about John Bolton, and and then that was kind of it, right? Yeah, you know, he didn't even mention uh, Tarantino's predilection for feet close-ups. I was thinking, you got to yeah. bring that. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> Come on now. 
Yeah, I was surprised by that. And, you know, I think he's been in recent years a pretty gregarious fellow, not political. I'm sure he gets political from time to time, but it's certainly not his it's not his A game. He's no De Niro. And for him to kind of mention that and I'm like, I always think and I might have mentioned this with Dennis Miller, but it's your one time to win an Oscar, most likely. You know, he could get nominated again. It's such a rare, beautiful, wonderful, special event. It's like I wouldn't go up there and say, go Yankees or Baba Booey. I just <laughs> I just can't imagine thinking that. Especially, you know, the news cycle changes daily and we, we care about today. We're not going to give a rat's patoot about tomorrow. Do you think he's going to say, oh, Bolton, he wrote the book and there was a <laughs> – yeah, it's just so inconsequential. I yeah. just that was my thought. Yeah, I mean, in in twenty years, he's gonna be like, did did I talk about Michael Bolton in a speech? What was <laughs> I thinking? You know, and then somebody will remind him, like, no, 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 it was the guy with the mustache. And you're like, really? What? <laughs> Donald Trump was president? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember any of this stuff. Yeah, I know. It's uh, I don't know. I mean, and again, it's like, sure, that's fine. That was important to him. That's what he chose to do with his time. But it's also like, yeah, I mean, it, we talk about the way some of these movies d- maybe don't hold up. I, uh, maybe some of these speeches, the the person who gave it will regret it. I don't think Joaquin Phoenix will ever regret, regret uh, that speech. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much he honored the memory of his late brother, River Phoenix, by giving just a terrible song lyric but you know that's just me that you know i'm i'm very i'm way too uh, skeptical about the the world um a movie that i didn't see is uh there's a couple movies that i didn't see uh the last few years just because and and honestly i think that if i got a feel that the story had been told well uh i would have seen bombshell and then what was the uh what was the cheney movie last year with christian bale i don't even remember the name of that thing Vice. Vice, yeah. So just neither of those, like, I just the way that people talked about what they liked about it, it and I'm, I'm stealing this from comedian Jim Norton, but it, it's a true point, is if what you say about it is like, oh, they look just like the person, I'm like, well, that's probably, probably not what's good, you know? I mean, Tom Hanks didn't look that much like Mr. Rogers. He just kind of wore sweaters and his hair was down and he talked a little bit like him, but that's not why that movie was good. It wasn't because he looked like Mr. Rogers. And so it's like, well, you know, uh, Charlize Theron definitely in the pictures I've seen looks like uh, Megyn Kelly, but I don't know. I just wasn't as excited about it. And I don't know, maybe it's just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being sensitive. What about those movies? I can't remember if we talked about Vice last year. I assume you see all of these movies just because you have to. Yeah, you know, I think I give Vice a smidge of credit. It swung for the fences. I think it missed. But uh, it was really a hard ideological movie that I thought was kind of a disaster. I thought Bombshell is kind of like a lukewarm Vice. And then the last maybe 40 minutes of Bombshell, I thought kind of settled in and became interesting. And the subject, of course, is fascinating. The Fox News. Sure, Roger yeah. Hells going on behind the scenes. I just feel like they were they – were, there was a lot of ideological talking points for much of the movie before they kind of said, hey, I guess we should probably tell a story with characters and plot and blah, 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 and we let's go from there. But both movies I don't think are Oscar-worthy in any sense. But, you know, the person who did the makeup for Bombshell also transformed Gary Oldman in The Darkest Hour. Dude's a genius. His name has escaped me. I apologize for that. But he is, uh, you know, certifiably uh, gifted in what he does. And uh, so – a makeup award, I, I can't complain too much about that. 
Yeah, no, no. I mean, I under, I certainly understand that, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I I saw trailers for it, and just like last year with Vice, I have a, a screener because my wife's in the Writers Guild, so I have a screener for Bombshell. I can watch it. I just uh, and you know, if I had all the time in the world, maybe I would watch a few minutes of it just to see you know what it was like. But there's so many other movies that. I just haven't gotten to see. I feel like there's this glut of TV shows that I'm always trying to catch up on. So if a movie really doesn't speak to me, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I need to watch it, you know? So, uh, the secret about all of this is that I get the screeners as well. I can't watch them all. There's just too many. Yeah. It's just a, it's a flood. And I try my best and I, and I do what I can, but you just can't. Let me ask you a question. In all of the years, has there ever been like a like a, a documentary feature or documentary short subject even that you still think about like years later? You're like, you know what? That was really good because it is definitely one of those forgotten sort of categories. And every once in a while, you'll have a big documentary that people talk about. Uh, and then, you know, that does get nominated, like the, the one about SeaWorld, uh, you know, sometimes you have that, the movies can be big, but do any of the, do any of those stand out just as you think back? Like, you know, I've seen a couple of those be really good, or is that sort of just like, well, you're just comparing it against other documentaries. I guess, uh, you have to pick one. It's a tough area for me. It's not my specific area of interest, but I will say, and this is going back, gosh, maybe 15 or so years. There was a movie about uh, sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. I, I believe it was called Deliver Us From Evil. And I saw it, and it really rocked me. And it's a, it's one that I still I, – I just have a – you know, you get a, a feel for a movie that kind of sure. sticks with you. You, don't, you just can't, can't shake it. I've always had that for that particular movie. But I, I, otherwise, I feel like documentaries have been more polemics, so they don't really kind of hit me the way they could or should. So Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I guess people don't care about the Academy Awards and the way that they used to. Maybe some of it has to do with the movies, but I think you're right. Like movie stars aren't movie stars anymore because, you know, they, they I don't know, because they have Instagram, because you have too much access to them. A lot of them do TV. Al Pacino is going to be in a TV show, you know? Al Pacino shouldn't be on a TV show. I love television, but I don't know that Al Pacino should be on television, you know? So uh, there's not the separation that there once was, you know? And uh, maybe just. People have better things to do on a Sunday night. And look, a perfect thing to do on a Sunday night is watch one of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture instead of watching an award show about it. You know, I mean, it's like if you could tell somebody, oh, just watch Parasite instead of watching the award show, you, you'll take more away from it than I think you did. Uh, so I don't know what the fix is. I feel like it helps to have a host. But what do I know? You know, I think that uh, people talk about Ricky Gervais hosting the Golden Globes. Uh, I know people are excited that uh, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are going to be back. Uh, I'm I'm just more of a Ricky Gervais guy, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I I think at some point they should just try it again and see if that helps. Do you think that they're stuck with this idea that we don't do hosts, or do you think we might actually get one? Well, the fact that the ratings collapsed this time, I think they may think about a host. But again, it's the combination of who's going to pass the vetting and who's going to be crazy enough to take the gig. Yeah. Can't remember. I, I guess Billy Crystal, in the early incarnations, got wonderful reviews. But I think even when he came back, the reviews weren't weren't positive. I think everybody gets panned. I, I thought David Letterman was fine. The yeah. open moment, he got shellacked. I, I feel like it's a particular gig that just is a, a magnet for negative reviews. And maybe I'm part of the problem as well. 
But why would you take that? It just seems completely thankless. I'm sure the money is not spectacular. It's a lot of work. And then the next day, everyone yells at you if you tell the wrong joke. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's definitely not worth the headache. I mean, you know, there was the year that Seth MacFarlane did it, and it was a weird choice. And, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of, like, negative reaction to it the next day. And he's probably like, yeah, it was fun. But, you know, why would he ever do it again? Not that they would probably ask. No, you, no. You know, so, yeah, I get it. It's, uh, I don't know what it is. But, yeah, I mean, if you could, look, there was the year that Eddie Murphy was supposed to do it. And I think when you think like that, yeah, I think people might pay attention, you know. It, uh, God forbid they have the thought to have Dave Chappelle host. It won't, but I would tune in for that. I would make sure. I mean, I tuned in anyway, but, like, that's the sort of thing that people would be like, wow, I definitely need to see that, you know. So if they, if somebody makes, like, a bold choice, I think that maybe people will tune in. But I think they're people are only in for an hour, you know, even with a good host. Eventually be like, oh, but it's the same old boring shit we always get, you know. Yeah, listen, the, the Oscar ship is sinking as far as the show itself. Yeah. It's too long. They have no intention of fixing it. It's going to be too political. Even people left of center, I've heard, are not pleased. I was talking to someone earlier who's a film critic and said, yeah, I have a buddy who's liberal. He's like, I don't want to hear that, that the speeches. It just doesn't, doesn't move me either. So I think there's a million things wrong with it. I think the powers that be have no interest in truly correcting it. I think they're going to kind of keep a semblance of what we see. And the audience will continue to shrink. And it's a shame. I, this was the show that I would love to watch every year as a kid, as a teen, because I love movies. It should be about that. And they've drifted so far away from that. They've drifted away from the movie stars. They've drifted toward the musical numbers. Last yeah. time I checked, this wasn't the uh, Tonys. It's the Oscars. I just don't get it. I think they should have a clean sweep. They should have new producers, new vision. Again, it's not going to happen. No, no, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I do think they'll they'll try a host again at some point, maybe not next year or the year after. But I think that they'll they'll try it. But yeah, I don't know that uh, that they'll succeed. But uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what the show is next year and uh, you know what some of the nominees are. Uh, in our final few minutes, I wanted to drift away from Oscar talk because this is the Black Cast, and I wanted to talk to you about Birds of Prey which uh, I saw uh, a, on, uh, what day did I see it? I saw it on Friday. It was, uh, because, you know, you, you'll understand this. When you, have, when you have kids and a somewhat flexible schedule, well, you go to the movies uh, on a weekday at like 11.30 in the morning because, you know, the kids are at school and you're like, well, I, I can actually, you know, see a movie without spending an extra $90 for a babysitter. So uh, I saw it. And I mean, I don't know. I thought it was fun. I don't. I, I didn't have any problems with it. I thought, uh, as much as I love Ewan McGregor, I'm like, okay, well, you know, leave a little bit of the the scenery there because he was, uh, you know, ch taking bites out of every inch of that scenery. But that's what I guess the character called for. Uh, but I mean, I, don't know, I thought it was fun. My wife and I, we had fun with it. That's all I looked for with it. But what did you think about the movie? And then we'll talk about the reaction to it. Yeah, I thought it was better than Suicide Squad, which is the faintest praise known to mankind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that there's like a bridge collapse that was better than Suicide Squad. <laughs> exactly. I thought the writing was really weak in that I thought that the snappy uh, comebacks weren't that snappy. It didn't seem funny, and I thought it felt very kitchen sinky. Like they were just throwing a lot of colors, a lot of scenes, a lot of characters, a lot of this and that. And yet, I thought that uh, the cast uh, performed their stunts admirably like it just seemed like they were it was very clear-eyed action sequences not a lot of fast cuts very fluid i thought it was uh, extremely well done there was a sort of a, a fight of, uh, in a, a convertible late in the movie i believe it was yeah it was really good like and i've seen a zillion action movies so when you impress me you got me 
And I, I thought that Margot Robbie's character was a bit grating after a while. She was so entitled and, you know, oh, I'm so adorable. But I think you I think you need really good writing to pull off an anti-heroine like that. And I just didn't think the film got there. So it was it was forgettable. It was passable. It wasn't terrible. But you know, I, I love these movies. I love superhero movies. So I, I think they should be better. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know. I don't know that this story, there's really much more they could have done with it. But I do agree that, you know, I, I think that we've seen a lot of Harley Quinn in the last few years because, you know, look, that that movie's on TV a lot. She has an animated series. And we, we know that she's the only thing that really helped. Well, that's not, probably not true. But she's a huge part of the reason why Suicide Squad made as much money as it did. Uh, and, you know, to take the character and spin her off into a movie made sense. But, yeah, by the end of the movie, I'm like, well, I like Huntress more than you. You know, I like, I like Black Canary more than you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I never liked Ewan McGregor more than her. But uh, the the actor who played his right-hand man, Victor Zaz, I didn't even recognize. He was like the love interest on the Mindy Project. And I'm like, that guy? And I saw him up close. I'm like, oh, my God. That guy, that guy was great. He did a great performance. So, look, I had fun with it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Now, in terms of... The way that it was received, I think that there was a narrative before it was released that, you know, there's it's somebody that I didn't know, but a lot of people I follow apparently followed this guy who said that, you know, the problem is that she doesn't look sexy enough in the commercials and the trailers. And I don't know if that's going to make people see it. It wasn't even somebody had seen it. He was just like, I don't know if she's sexy enough. And then the idea was like, oh, my God, you can't say that that's the only reason why people go. Uh, but people didn't go. What are your theories about why, you know, it made $33 million uh, on opening weekend? It's a cast. I don't want to say they're unknowns, but they're mostly unknowns. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is sort of a, a, a name in a sense. So they're yeah. not a big name. That doesn't help. I think the fact that, you know, Suicide Squad lives on in, uh, you know, home video and streaming. Yeah, sure. People, where are you going to see it? It's not a good movie. No. And I think maybe if you saw it in theaters, you know, the big screen, the popcorn, the fun, the razzle-dazzle kind of wins you over a little bit when the movie's mediocre. I think it's living on on small screens and not not living on well. Uh, and I do think sort of the framing of it, this whole you must see it and it's feminist and it's this. You know, when Wonder Woman came out, they didn't do all that. They just said, it's Wonder Woman. It's Gal Gadot. The trailer rocks. Go see it. Yeah. And saw it and it crushed. It was great. Yeah. And I think there's this, there's this sort of, we're not too sure about our product. We're going to kind of play this game. It's Lady Ghostbusters. We're going to make it sort of, you feel badly if you critique it, if you do this. It's this weird packaging. And I think fans may sense that there's, that's like a defensive posture where they don't have faith in the material. Like Black Widow comes out in like four or five weeks, maybe a little more. It May. comes out in the beginning of May. Yeah. There's none of that. It's Scarlett Johansson, it's Black Widow. You've been waiting for this. You love her character. Go. You're yeah. not going to see any hand-wringing about that. Well, what if men don't want to see it, and what if she's not sexy enough? It's a known product. I think they've got a good one on their hands. I don't think there's going to be that hand-wringing. And I sense that with certain films, there is that hand-wringing. And I, I, I mean, listen, it's not the reason why it's not doing well. I think it's a reason why it's not doing well. Yeah. I don't think fans want to be yelled at or lectured. They just want to say, hey, come see our fun movie. And when it, you don't get that message, 
I think our spider signals, uh, spidey senses sort of tingle. Yeah, and to the movie's credit, the movie doesn't do that, but there is sort of that narrative out there that it's trying to, you know, uh, paint it in that way. There was the, um, there was that Girl Boss movie a, f- a few weeks ago or a month ago where I don't know what the movie was like, but it's it's viral. It's uh, social media campaign was basically that. Like, you need to go take the girls and go see this movie this weekend. And I was like, yeah, but it looks terrible. And even <laughs> my wife was like, yeah, that, that doesn't look fun. You know, so it's like, I, I mean, don't don't try and bully us into seeing a movie, you know, I mean, especially not in 2020, because we know how bad bullying is. But I, I, you know, so I think that, you know, yeah, sometimes you kind of can reach for that as a, as a life raft. But yeah, there was this narrative surrounding this movie that it it was, well, we, we had to see it for that reason. And I'm like, well, it's fun. But to your point, it doesn't have a movie star in it. Margot Robbie is still emerging. And what does Black Widow have? Well, Black Widow has a movie star in it, you know? Scarlett Johansson, I mean, nominated for two Oscars last night, you know? Uh, but she's actually starred in plenty of movies. And this is this is the one time where her character wasn't originally Asian. I mean, it's a Russian, you know? So she's misappropriating Russian culture, but still. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it just seems like... I don't know, and I think the really weird long title, by the way, because it's not just called Birds of Prey. It's a weird title, you know, and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn. I think it's even longer than that. It is even longer than that. Yeah. Actually, one thing I want to mention is I think we kind of sleep on this. The trailer in, in, in the modern age is extraordinarily important. When that first Ghostbusters trailer came out a couple of years ago and it was it was dead on arrival, yeah. I think whatever, whatever hopes we had that this would be kind of a great reboot were shot. I think when A Quiet Place came out, the trailer was great, and it fueled its magnificent opening weekend. I think the Suicide Squad trailers were outstanding, which made the fact that the film was terrible just so shocking. (laughs) And I think with Birds of Prey, the trailers were okay. It didn't. I wasn't. Wasn't rocking. I wasn't dying to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I was interested in it because I'm like, well, I want to see it. I, I. I like. I still like the character of Harley Quinn. I just feel like we're in danger of getting burned out on her because I'm sure she'll be in the next Suicide Squad. You know, I'm sure of that. But, uh, yeah. So I don't quite know what it is, and you know, if people weren't drawn to it, you know, I did see an interesting comparison online. Somebody pointed out that uh, I guess the budget for this was $85 million and it opened to $33 million. Somebody pointed out that Ford versus Ferrari had a budget of $100 million and it opened to thirty-one. million. Uh, but I don't know that the expectations for Ford versus Ferrari are the same for a DC Universe film starring this like, you know, this huge character in the way of Harley Quinn. But I did think it was interesting. It's like, okay, yeah. So those seeing those cold, hard numbers, I'm like, okay, so yeah, people are definitely skewing this movie for a specific reason. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think your expectations for Ford versus Ferrari are the same as a Harley Quinn movie, you know? And also the movie, the birds of prey open with zero zero competition yeah no new releases and the other the only films that could beat up against it were bad boys for life which is already out for three or four weeks in 1917 which has been out for longer so it really had the marketplace to itself it's a superhero movie it should have made a lot more money listen good for them for keeping the budget reasonable it's going to keep them from losing a ton of money and it may actually end up making a little cash but that is a soft opening. You can't spin it any other way. Yeah. I mean, and look, I think that, uh, you know, 
international, uh, ancillary markets, streaming, all that. They'll they'll be fine with this as a property, you know, and it'll be part of some of the disjointed DC extended universe where they, you know, try to not interconnect their films right now. But uh, I, I think I think it'll be fine in the long run. And I think we'll see Harley Quinn again. I don't know that we'll see any of these other characters, uh, you know, the like Huntress and some of the, you know, Black Canary, some of these intriguing characters. We we may not see them again, or at least not anytime soon. Um, one thing that I know when you were, I don't know if you were tweeting about this or if you wrote about it in an article. Uh, one of the things missing from it for sure is the fact that the Joker's not in it. But I do think that it's sort of in a weird spot because she's in a Joker movie. Well, she's in... Suicide Squad with the Jared Leto Joker, which was not well received, that Joker. It didn't bother me as much as it did some people, but not my favorite Joker. And so now you have a new Joker in the way of Joaquin Phoenix, and he's not going to be in it. So is it just like, were they just told like, yeah, you don't get to put Joker in this movie? Uh, and if they were handcuffed in that way, I don't think that that helped them. Yeah, and I think I get all of that. But I think then you rewrite the story a bit and don't make it so dependent on a Joker-Harley Quinn breakup. Maybe there's another sort of launching pad. I don't think you necessarily need to see an Acme chemical plant explode. It didn't seem like the greatest writing (laughs) achievement of the last six years. So I I think you'd go in a different direction. And by the way, is Joker in the next Suicide Squad? film and do we is it going to be Lita or someone else or is it we don't even know they haven't said that that's uh that's obviously that's the film that james gunn is doing for them because for the the moment that disney fired him from guardians of the galaxy volume three and then hired him back was like well yeah but i gotta do this movie first um i don't know if joker's going to be in it my expectation is of course that harley quinn's gonna be in it but i don't know that much about it and i don't know how close we are to that film i don't think that's anytime this year i think that's next year yeah, uh, yeah, because Guardians of the Galaxy three isn't until like twenty twenty three or maybe even twenty twenty four. It's pretty far down the road because he needs to do that first. So uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll we'll get a Joker in there. I feel like they don't quite know what to do next with the Joker. You know, do you do a sequel with Joaquin Phoenix where it's you know shortly after that film? Do you have him playing the Joker in the modern day? Do you have him show up in a Robert Pattinson as Batman movie? You know. N- theoretically not the next one that they're doing right now uh i think that they have to just think carefully of what they do uh but it is interesting that uh two actors have now won oscars for playing the joker and uh of course we also have jack nicholson who played the joker and won an oscar for it and um uh obviously well jared leto won an oscar too you know, yeah. so the, he didn't win it for the Joker, and neither did Jack. So really, like, there's something about, like, being the Joker, I, I think, that uh, they have to be really careful, don't you think? Yeah, Cesar Romero, call your agent. Yeah, wow. Can- I, I, what I love about Cesar Romero is that he didn't shave off the mustache. He just put the clown makeup on over it. That's, to me, that's like, well, you know what? Everybody's TV is so bad, they're not going to notice. Um, oh, my agent. Yeah. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Anyway, Christian, it's a, it's always a treat to get a chance to talk to you, and I, I love when we uh, break down the Oscars every year. I always like to say we watch it so you don't have to, you know? And people who want to see any of the stuff, they've all, they all went online the next day and be like, oh, how crazy was Joaquin Phoenix's speech, you know? They, they're like, oh, I like Eminem. I want to see that, you know? But it's like nobody needs to actually watch it on the night of anymore. 
According to the ratings, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Well, uh, Christian, uh, Hollywood and Toto is the website. And uh, how do people keep in touch with you on social media? Uh, on Twitter, I'm pretty darn active, maybe too active. It's at Hollywood in Toto and the weekly Hollywood and Toto podcast. Most uh, audio platforms you can find it, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, you name it, it should be there. And you can find Christian on the latest episode of the Dennis Miller Option. Uh, you can find that at westwoodone.com, but also uh, Apple Podcasts, Google. Oh, it's not Google Play anymore. They have Google Podcasts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, anytime. That's the beauty of Twitter, Christian, is uh, if somebody doesn't have episodes downloading, they'll just write to you directly and be like, I can't find the show. And then it's like, well, now I have to make sure people can find the show because you can't do the show if nobody can get it. But anyway, uh, I don't think I've ever once gotten a message like, I can't find the black cast. They're just like, yeah, all right. I guess I'm okay without it. But anyway, uh, Christian, uh, I like I said, I always appreciate it. I'm sure we'll uh, have the occasion to talk again soon. That's it for this week. Uh, we'll see you next time on the black cast. Oh,